Good evening, everyone. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege to come together and to meet this evening. We know that you are worthy of our blessings, honor, and glory because we know who you are. We thank you for who you are and for what you have done for every one of us. Lord, I pray that your holy words, your ancient word will impact us even this evening, Lord, that you will speak through me. I pray that the heart of the people here will be encouraged. And for some of us that know you already, Lord, I pray that our heart will be encouraged and that we would know for sure that nothing shall separate us from the love of God. No tribulation, no difficult times, no hardship, of any kind can take us away from you. We have that assurance. And I pray that this will be the lot of everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen. Two weeks ago, almost three weeks ago, I was um, invited to Halifax for a certain selection and I had to spend a greater time, length of time, sitting down. And um, I knew it would, the day would come, so I was well prepared because I've been told that it might take about six hours of waiting. So I took with me this book. This was presented to me by Brother Clyde two years ago at Christmas time. Some of you will have read it. This is a coincise or abridged version of The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Some of you will have read it. And uh, that is what I spend my time just contemplating about how a journalist would set out to meet to, in search of the truth. He wanted to find God and to find the true God. He wasn't ready until his wife became a born again. And when his wife trusted the Lord, he said he was challenged to really dig in to find the truth. And he met Christ. And I know for sure that if anyone is truly searching for Jesus Christ, he will reveal himself to him. So he did to this man. I was greatly encouraged by all what he has to say. And I was such in a pensive mood for a while. I was just thinking, what prompted me to believe that there is God? Did I really search looking the way he did? Some of us are so privileged, we are so blessed, let me put it that way, that we have been introduced to church early in our lives, in our childhood. 
And I was, and I, I was one of those people. I went to Sunday school. I've heard Simon preaching gospel over and over that I can tell you that I cannot say precisely when I got saved because that was deposited all along growing up with me. I was just stubborn making that commitment that I trust the Lord. Eventually it came. So I, I was thinking from the standpoint of Paul, Right from this morning, we've been talking about rumors. My brother sat down, stood up this morning, and he gave a scripture from the book of Romans, verse 8. And I looked at him. I was looking at myself. I said, he just stole my, 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 my sermon this evening. I was looking at, I was just contemplating, looking at, the, at law. Opposed to Paul, He's always asking, looking at Jesus Christ, about our salvation from the standpoint of the law. The law. The law. But before I get into the law, I want to tell you what really informed me to choose Jesus, our rescuer. Many of you will have been privileged to see your kids growing and watching cartoons with them. One of the favorite cartoons that I watched with my kids growing up, I couldn't even remember the title, the, the title of, the, of the cartoon, but every time there might be a problem, and then these uh, tortoises and some other animals would say, to the rescue, and they would go and rescue whatever animal that is in, in, in trap, maybe trapped or in bondage or what, they would rescue it. To the rescue, and there they would go again and they would rescue. Funny enough, one day I went to, on Thursday it was a rejoice club, and I, I knew these kids, uh, and I know they all said they've seen those cartoons, and I said, I will use that angle to just talk to them. And then uh, we were talking about rescue, and they were so excited. You know, they told me more about the cartoon, but exactly what I wanted them to get from it is the rescue. Everyone needs to be rescued. And Paul was arguing from the point of law. But what law did Paul cover was mostly spiritual law. If you examine your Bible from the book of Exodus from 20 to 24, the commandment and laws on properties, moralities, God was just giving it to them. But when Paul was talking to the, to, the, to, the, to the Israelite, he was always, or to the people, he's always talking from the standpoint of a law, the law, the law, because the law condemns. So I looked into the law, I was thinking about the law, I said, okay, I will, I will explore some other aspect of this law in order to bring out what I really want to talk about. What are we free from? There are so many other aspects of law. If you can change if we were searching for the truth, in my political when I was in the, in the school, we came across all these kind of laws that were not really explained by, by Paul, but it's all included in what law in the, in the law that um, Paul was talking about, the natural laws, the economic laws political and social laws, moral laws, scientific laws, and spiritual law. By far, the spiritual law is the most 
of all of them, the most consequential. Because a lot of people don't give attention to that to the spiritual law because they feel that the result may not be immediate. But when you are considering some other laws, like economic law, laws we are all is all around us. You can't is an inescapable fact of life that we that there are laws that but if it is broken, you will face the consequences. Economic law, for instance demands that there are so many scriptural verses in the Bible that warns against, you know, that preach against us to spend our money so prudently. And if those laws or imperatives are violated, you will face the consequences. And most people are well prepared that they know and they will fragrantly just break these economic laws. But regardless of whether you know that there are so, so many laws out there, it still exists. The gravity, if you go up to the roof and jump down, you will, be, you, you, you will be injured because there is gravity. That is a law. But people do things as if there are no laws. So Apostle Paul was coming from the spiritual angle to tell them that we have done something bad. The moral law, even the Bible supports that we have to be morally conscious. Was it um, Ravi Shakaraya that always tell people that there are four questions in life that we have to really examine? The question of origin, morality, meaning, and destination. There are laws that guide all those. Where do we come from? How do we get here? What did we do to get here? And how can we get back to where we come from, separated from God? There are laws that, that, you know, that, that guide everything. So I'm going to talk about the scientific laws are there. I don't have to mention them. The spiritual laws are bound. And so also are the moral laws. But when we do things, if you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15... Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 says that because this is the beginning of the law, the Lord, took, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to walk it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat it from it, you will certainly die. That is just one aspect of law, the commandment that God gave to the, to the first Adam and, Adam and Eve. It was a clear instruction, do not do this. And then if you look at Exodus chapter 24, verse 3, this is the relationship with, um, with you know, Moses with his people. Exodus chapter 24, verse 3. It says, When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, will, will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord has said. It is interesting 
that the people agree that all the things that God has done, or what the law that God has given, they will do it all. But the difference between the spiritual law and all other laws is that people do not recognize that an infraction of those laws are not just whether it is wrong or right. It's not just a mistake. The, the people fail to call it what it is, which is sin. It is sin. Whether it is an economic law, if you don't do what you are supposed to do, what God has commanded, it is sin. If you, if you, are not, if you do not have a moral principle that serves as a pivot for your choices of whatever it is wrong or right, it is sin. But because people no longer use that language in the world as sin, they think that, oh, I just made a mistake, or I've spent my money unwisely, and uh, maybe something will happen, I might win a lottery. If you do not keep the law, you are breaking the law, and that is a sin. And Paul recognized that, that that is a sin. We are all captives of sin. Choice have consequences. When we, can you? Here I say that choice have consequences. Whatever you decide to do, even if you fail to follow economic law or moral law, you have to face the tune. You have to face the consequences. Is that you face the consequences by looking for a rescuer? The rescuer can be yourself. Individually, when you break an economic law and you are facing with financial difficulty and you have to declare bankruptcy, there are three things you can do. You can either one, self-reflect and say, from going forward, I'm going to become very shrewd or I'm going to be prudent or I'm going to take some lessons in how to save for rainy days. You can do that yourself. You can rescue yourself in those laws. And worse still, or better still, you can say, you know what, I'm going to look for the rescuer. I might want to talk to an accountant or an expert in that area who will counsel me on how to spend my money judiciously. You can do that. You can find rescuer in those areas. But when it comes to spiritual law, can we find anyone who can rescue us except from God? It is impossible. So because we break the law of God, the law that puts us in the garden, God, if, you know, if you remember how we, you know, remember the fall, God specifically told Abraham, this is my commandment, this is my law, and he broke it. So we moved from what God has described that everything was good after creation. We moved from there, and our relationship with God became severed. When we break the commandment of God, our greatest problem is sin. We have become captive to sin. The, the world might call it any other thing. Like you break the law, you face the consequences, you might go to jail, you might go to maybe adolescence, whatever. But the point is that you have sinned and you have trespassed. You know, God's instruction. So deliberate and deviant choices made by the first Adam on heart serve as roots to choices that will be made by sin and of future generation, all of whom will be judged by the same criteria. 
And the law of God is so great that he said even in James 2, verse 10, say, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Who then can rescue us? Romans 6, 23, it says, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. I was teaching the children that one thing you have to know is that you are a sinner. And I teach them to know that they are no good, that they are sinners. And then we talked about where sin comes from. And the Bible tells us that therefore as one man, sin entered into the world. And what is the wages of sin? Death. Death is the way, that is what we deserve. God created mankind for an incre- incredible existence, but we blew it. If we continue to walk in that direction, we can never inherit eternal life with God. There can only be one just consequence. Separation from God, which is spiritual death. And Brother Ken was talking about that this morning. So the only way out is to admit that we need help. In the cartoon that I was telling you, there will be a phone call to this group. And uh, they will inform that, that the person calling them will inform them that someone or somebody or some group is stuck somewhere or they're in a problem. And there they will just go. So just like them, we need help. When a person is in financial trouble, you seek for help. When a business is in financial trouble, they seek for help. If you are in moral trouble, if you are having moral, a problem with morality, you, look for, you seek help. So also when you have instruction with spiritual law, when you are sinning, you have to look for help. Who should we now turn to? Should we turn to ourselves to rescue ourselves? When it comes to spiritual laws, we cannot rescue ourselves. Romans, 10, Romans 3 verse 10 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. So, like every other infringement, every other thing you do in, the, in life that you may say, Oh, I just made a mistake, or I, I, I stole, or I lied. You can get away with all that because you, you don't think about the consequences of that. You don't see God, and the result may not be immediate. But when it comes to spiritual law, if you have sinned against God, you cannot expect yourself. You can't be your own rescuer. You need someone who has not done that, who has not sinned. So the Bible now condemns all that because there is no one who can say that I have not sinned. At the Rejoice Club, I will ask the children, I will say, how many of you have sinned before? You will see there some, some hands will be up. And then I will say, how many of you have not sinned? Some hands some will come up. And then the one that raised their hand initially will say, you just lied. <laughs> even, even with your hands up, you just lied. Romans 3, 23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I attempted to read the Bible from Exodus 20, all the laws, what you need to do when you do wrong, what you need to do when you do bad, the commandment. There are so many of them that you cannot, no one can keep them. But thank God we have someone who did it all, who kept it all, who was so innocent. 
Should we call on good men of the Bible? The reason why I, put the, why I went into the good men is that at the level of individual, you can rescue yourself. But when it becomes a business, you have to reach out for good people, you know, experts. Even at the level of the government, when governments are in trouble because of their fiscal indiscipline, they reach out for international economics and you know, accountants and all that, international experts, to say what, or IMF or some other financial organization in order to seek help. Even as a nation, they do that several times some countries. Even in 2008 in U.S., we, all, we are all aware of the economic depression and what they did in order to get out of that depression. Even nations can be fiscally irresponsible to get themselves in some financial trouble. And they will look for help. But what is amazing is that people look for help in so many other areas of their lives. People look for help in order not to, have to, to, to live in poverty. People look for help in order to get a job and to live well. People look for help in order to get married. They look for help in order to train their children well. But one thing that they will not look out for is to have the gift of eternal life, which is the far most consequential. All other ones are immediate. Because even if you remain poor, you might still, because it's just we are dealing with the body. But the spiritual law did not only, deals not only with the body, but even with the soul, your eternity. Where do you plan to spend your eternity? So why would you not want to seek the truth? Why would you not want to take a step to know for sure that one day when you die, your home will be in heaven? A lot of people don't want to do that. Just like this guy, he didn't want to do it until eventually he was confronted or challenged by, the, by, by, by his wife. So who should we go to? I read the book of Jeremiah to see when the people of Israel were in problem. I would like you to go there. Jeremiah chapter, you can flip to the, the Lord told the Israelites through both Jeremiah and Ezekiel that a few good men cannot save them from the diseases of death. If you can turn your Bible. Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 1 to 2. Then the Lord said to me, this is Jeremiah speaking, even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, my mind would not be favorable towards these people. Cast them out of my sight, and let them go forth. And it shall be, if they say to you, where shall we go? Then you shall tell them, thus says the Lord, such as are for death to death, and such as are for the sword to the sword, and such are as are for the farming to the farming, and such as as for the captivity to the captivity. Even as good as Moses and Samuel were, as righteous as they were, when they were misbehaving, when they were sinning, when they would not repent from whatever they were doing, God told them that this is what is going to happen. And Jeremiah was imploring Lord, shamelessly, that Lord be merciful to them. 
Few good people in the Bible cannot save us. They are not worthy. They are worthy to save themselves. But God is telling the Israelites, even Moses or Samuel cannot do that. Few people, few, few, few good men cannot even save us. We need a person who is appointed, who is sent by God for that mission and solely that mission. So the rescuer of our spiritual life, who can give us the eternal salvation and the eternal gift, is not found in few men. Not even the men of the Bible, nor the prophet can do that. If you turn the Bible to the book of Ezekiel, I want to show a relevant passage there in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 14. God was talking to Ezekiel concerning that too, whether few people or few good men can save Israel. Ezekiel 14, 19 to 20. He says, or oh, if I send a pestilence into the land and pour out my fury on it in blood and cut off from it man and beast, even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, says the Lord, they would, they, they would deliver neither son nor daughter. They would, neither only, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. I was surprised to see even the name of Noah, Daniel, and uh, Job. God mentioned that even those few good men cannot do it. They cannot intercede for the people of Israel. So who should our rescuer be if these people are not worthy to do the job for us? And bear in mind, we've started to walk away from God right from Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, when the serpent told us, Abraham, Eve and Abraham, said, did God really say? Did God really command you not to do this? And they, the women cannot even answer that. Instead, it was, he, he fell, she fell into sin, both with her husband. When we break the God's commandment, we have committed sin. And uh, moving forward, is there someone who can then help us? Who is willing to rescue the perishing? Who will care for the dying? Yes, there is. Thank God we have Jesus Christ who is worthy to do that. Let's turn our Bible to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5. We will read from 6 to 11. Romans 5, 6 to 11. It's a familiar passage. And it says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates, but God shows, 
But God proves his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we, now, we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if we were God's enemy, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Jesus Christ, only Jesus Christ can provide answer to our sin. Only him can rescue us from the power of the Lord that condemns us. We were told, we were, we were admonished this morning, that we were free from the condemnation of the law. Only Jesus Christ is worthy to do that for us. And I love this song. That is why I chose it. Only him is worthy of all our praises, of all our glory, and all our blessings. Separation requires reconciliation. To be in a right relationship with God, we need to be restored back to God. Ephesians chapter 2 talks more about that. We needed to stand before God forgiving, and so Jesus justified us. Just as if we have never sinned, we became righteous before God. And there was this particular um, visual here that Miss Janice as well brought to the religious club one time. And we have a picture of a man. And then we have a cloth which signifies the blood of Jesus Christ. And we would tell the kids that because we are sinners, this person is standing before God and all what God can see is sins all over him. But when we put the red cloth over that picture, we see blood all red. And we tell them that is all Jesus see. He no longer see the sin in us. He see the blood of his son. And therefore, we are righteous. We are righteous because of Jesus Christ. So he is our rescuer. So in my mind, when I was sitting down there for almost six hours, I was, just be, I was very encouraged to know that Jesus has rescued me. And so also, everyone that is seated here tonight, I'm just using this to encourage you that in whatever circumstances that you would not you know, be persuaded by any strand of argument that this is not true. What can separate us from the love of God? He truly loves us and he has separated us. Only Jesus Christ provides hope for our sin. We, as we are found, not even in few good men, not even in ourselves, but only in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was sinless. Let's turn quickly to the book of um, 2 Corinthians 5.20. I think it's 5.21. Maybe I, I made a mistake there. The, the, what I was trying to do was, for he had made him to be seen for us, who knew no sin, that we might become righteous of God in him. It's a familiar, it's a familiar passage. And then First Peter 3.18 says, our sin 
was placed on him. These are all the reasons why we know that we have a rescuer. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, For as many that have received him, to them he gave him the power to become sons and daughters, even to those that believe on his name. He has done all that for us. Jeremiah 14 says that in one respect, God was talking to Jeremiah. And he says, even the prophets that are prophesying good things to you, he said, they are all liars. And the reason why I underlined those was that God said that I have not sent them. I want you to know that. I have not all appointed them or spoken to them. What speak to me there was that God will appoint, will send, and will speak to Jesus Christ. All those fulfillment or requirements that God is saying that he's not, he has not made known to this prophet were present in Jesus Christ. All these other liars, God says, I have not sent them. He sent Jesus Christ. I have not appointed them. He appointed Jesus Christ. And he's not, he said, I have not spoken to them. There are several respects in the Bible, scriptural backups, where, you know, even when uh, Jesus was being baptized, that God spoke directly, even the people heard it. So all this requirement is necessary, and Jesus fulfilled all of that. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave, that signified that he sent him. And even in this morning when we were talking about uh, when the pastor was preaching this, uh, this, um, in, uh, in the afternoon service, he said, Luke chapter 4, when he was talking about Jesus, in, you know, going back to Nazareth and entering into the temple, and he said, the day, today, you know, the spirit, I've been anointed. So all this requirement is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He was sent, he was anointed, he was appointed, and God spoke to him. Luke 1 to 31 to 32, and uh, that's what I was trying to say about um, John. But the next day, John saw Jesus Christ coming towards him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And you can see all that. Make me with you. Fast forward. In summary, I just tried to come up with some of the exclusive claims that Jesus Christ made in order for us to know that he is our rescuer that really point to him that exclusively that no other person can rescue us. He called, he said, I am the door. All the I am of Jesus Christ is what I was trying to depict here. He said, God sent Jesus to make a way. And Apostle Paul echoed, he said, through him we have access to the Father. Through Jesus Christ. And then in another, in another respect, he said, I am the bread of life. Brother David Anson spoke one morning at the breaking of bread when he was talking about bread as a, as a life-sustaining power of Jesus Christ. You know, and here we see Jesus Christ is an inexhaustible source of spiritual nourishment. He's the bread of life. He said, I am a good shepherd. Trust me. The good shepherd gave his life for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. That's a promise. And we can, go, we can claim that. 
He said, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and hide in him bears much fruit. And I always like this. For without me, you can do nothing. That's so exclusive. And Jesus declared himself to be one of who not only but an inextinguishable source of light. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will not walk in darkness. But we have the light of life. Isn't that amazing? That we have God that will tell you that this is who I am. There's no other way. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am life. I was sitting down with one of the persons that became my friend over the week. We went to Tim Hortons together and we were talking. And he said, I believe in all religion. I don't mind. He said, because all of them just, that it points to the way to the God. And I asked him, I said, can two things be true at the same time? If all of them are true. He looked at me and he said, you, I think you, you might have a point there. Say, can two things be true? I said, two things can be false. All of them can be false. But all of them cannot be true. His name is Gary. He's from the reserve. And I'm working with Gary. I would like you to pray for him so that God would... I've become very familiar. And during, over the lunch period, we've been talking. And I pray that God will use me to really to, to speak to him, that God will speak to his heart in a way that he will come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ before, we're, before we're, we, we separate. So in conclusion, I just want you to say this, that let us once again accept our utter helplessness that without Jesus, we are nothing. And in Jesus, we have everything. We are nothing without him, and in him, we have everything. So when we are faced with sin, let us not look for some good men or teacher or other gods to save us. If any one of you is still doubtful about Jesus and his saving power, this is the time to give up all your doubt and lean completely on him. I trust that God has saved everyone that is here. The reason for this is just for me to encourage your heart to continue so that you don't grow weary. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your words. I just pray that, Lord, you will use the Holy Spirit to convey it more than what, how it has been spoken or communicated. For those of us that have accepted him already, I pray that, Lord, our heart will be encouraged to want to do more, to want to live for him this year, to want to serve him, and to want to praise him, knowing that life is short and that we are required to love him more. For he gave everything. The Bible says that we know the grace of our Lord. Even though he was rich, he became poor for us. So that through his poverty, we might become rich. Thank you, Lord, for your power that is over sin to set us free from the bondage of sin. We pray that, Lord, you will help me in the way I deal with Gary, that he will come to trust you and to receive you 
as our Lord and, as, and his Lord and his Savior. Lord, I pray for everyone who is sick in our assembly. I pray for Mr. Ralph. I pray for David Spider and every other person who is mentioned. And this gentleman who is bereaved, whose mother passed, we just pray that, Lord, you will encourage him with your word that will sustain him. And we pray that, Lord, you will stretch your healing hands to touch our dear brother Ralph and David Spider. Thank you for the evening and for bringing us together this evening. We pray that even as we depart, we commit our whole week into your hand. We ask that, Lord, you will grant us journey mercies, work mercies, and family mercies as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.